So for the next little while, I want to share with you my thoughts about what it means to be a kingdom person. May we pray. Lord, I'm just awed at the sense of worship and grace in this congregation and the receptivity, Lord, and the power of your spirit present. We thank you for that. We pray that as I share from your word today, that we would all be impacted by what is your word to us, we pray. Quicken it to our spirits and our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mudit. I want to tell you a story. One of my favorite mentors, now long since gone to be with the Lord, is an American Methodist statesman missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones, who wrote many books. Some of you may have read his books and recognized the name. Does anybody recognize the name E. Stanley Jones? Right. Okay, he went, he's been called the greatest missionary since St. Paul. That could well be true. Great man of God who went to India for many years, learned how to reach the intellectuals of India, became a close friend of Gandhi, never quite saw him in the kingdom, but respected him for his adherence to the Beatitudes, which uh, Gandhi assiduously practiced. He went to be with the Lord in 1973 at the age of 89. Just before he went to be with the Lord, he, he wrote and published what is arguably his magnus open, opus, his opus magnum, his greatest work. It's a great big thick book, well worth your getting and reading. And it is called The Unshakable Kingdom and The Unchanging Person. You can guess what they represent. My story is about how the Lord first deeply impacted him with the kingdom. The year was 1934. Stanley Jones, then 50 years of age, was visiting Moscow in Russia to see what communism was like. He saw the communists building up a civilization without God and doing it enthusiastically. His heart fell. The young people were coming out of the subway, carrying earth, and they were chanting, we are making a new world. He was shaken. He needed reassurance. We know what happened to communism, but he didn't know that back at that time. He was given reassurance. There in Moscow, he went to his Bible. And the first verse that his eyes fell on was Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28a. It is, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Of course, the kingdom of God. Let me tell you the rest of his story in his own words. Did we have a kingdom, the kingdom of God, that cannot be shaken? The answer was clear and unmistakable. Yes, the unshakable kingdom is the kingdom of God. And not only will it not be shaken, it cannot be shaken, for it is ultimate reality. All the other kingdoms are shakeable. The kingdom of communism is shaken. We know what happened to that back in 1989. They, hold it, they, have to, they had to hold it together by force. Relax the force and it goes to pieces. The kingdom of capitalism is shakeable. President Eisenhower, he wrote this book at the time Eisenhower was president, had a heart attack. 
the stock market died four billion dollars today, three four trillion dollars. Okay. The kingdom of personal health is shakable. The doctor gives you a checkup, shakes his head and says, "You've got a cancer." Shakable. Everything is shakable except one thing, and that is the kingdom of God. A Hindu chairman says, Stanley Jones, at the close of one of my addresses, said, if what the speaker has just said isn't true, then it doesn't matter. But if it is true, then nothing else matters. If what I had just said about the kingdom isn't true, it doesn't matter. But if it is true, nothing else matters. Then all science, knowledge, achievements, all nations, all persons, all things must be related to this unshakable kingdom in surrender and obedience and alignment or else end in frustration and failure and decay. I lived on that verse, said Jones, exultantly that day in Moscow and kept saying to myself, this is it, this is it. But there was more to follow. The next day I went to my Bible hungry for more. This verse and a few verses below the other was the other more. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world of flux and change, there's one unchanging person, and that is the unchanging person, Jesus Christ. And the answer came back, yes, an unhesitating, full-throated yes. Jesus Christ is not changing. Our views about him may change, all the way from myth to master, but he himself is not changing. Not changing except unfolding from age to age as we get to know him better. Always the same, yet forever new, unfolding but always the same. I saw that I had discovered the two absolutes, the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person. And that is the title of his great book. He had rediscovered the perfect kingdom, but you can't have a kingdom without a king. But here we had the perfect kingdom and the perfect king in charge of the kingdom. I just want to remind us that the, the kingdom of God is the principal focus of the Lord Jesus when he was here on the earth. It is absolutely central to his teaching. The kingdom of God is mentioned 50 times in the Matthew, Gospel of Matthew alone. Again and again, the synoptic Gospels tell us that he went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Not just the Gospel, but the Gospel of the kingdom. Just two examples on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all nations, and then the world shall come, then the end shall come. And we know that that's in process right now. We're coming to that place where the gospel is being preached to every nation upon the earth. Even after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, we find that the kingdom of God continued to be his principal preoccupation, his principal teaching. In Acts chapter 1, verse 
3, we read that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days preaching or spoke about the kingdom of God. So then we look at the life of Paul. We turn to the very end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. We find, no surprise, that Paul was doing the same thing. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly and without hindrance, preaching, he preached the kingdom of God and taught the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about the absolute kingdom. He talked about the absolute king, the unshakable kingdom, the unchanging person. Now, in view of the Lord's emphasis and that of the Apostle Paul, it's astonishing to me that we don't hear more preaching and teaching about this concept, this absolute reality, the kingdom of God. So I'm going to try and make up a little bit for that now, today. So what do we mean by the kingdom of God? If you're like me, it took you years to understand that this phrase does not mean heaven. Even when the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 5, on the screen, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. He was not, he was not, I say, talking about heaven. Yes, the kingdom of God is the way to heaven, but it's not heaven. It's the government of God we're talking about here. It speaks of the king's domain, the king's dominion, and in particular about the king's reign on this earth. Do we see this? I feel it's important that we understand this. So when the Lord said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, he was saying to Nicodemus, and I believe by extension he's saying to all of us, you cannot even come under the rulership of the kingdom unless you're born of water and of the spirit. For good reason. For Jesus came to this earth to create a new race of human beings who could relate, who could relate properly and effectively to God. And you cannot do that except by rebirth. I like the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, this is a change from being creatures of God to being sons of God. So I hope we're clear on that because I was not clear on that for many, many years. Being born again into the, into the kingdom enables us to serve the king, to relate to the king, to have the same spirit as the king. So what, did, what does it mean to be a kingdom person? To begin with, I suggest we need to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We sang it earlier, verse 33, King James. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I find it helpful to know that in the, in the original Greek, that word seek is in what they call the continuous present tense. It's be seeking, not just seek and you're done. It's continually be seeking the will of God in my life. Then you find that you understand what your plan, what his plan for you is in the kingdom. So what does it mean to be continually seeking first? the kingdom of God. Surely it must mean that for every person, his top priority 
must be to seek to know and to do the Lord's will, to discover and to do what the Lord wants you and me in particular to do. And that's a highly individual concept. It can only be discovered through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Lord is evidently so very keen that we make obedience to this simple command, a way of life, that he gives us the most extraordinary promise that if we will do this, he will absolutely take care of our daily needs. I see Carolyn's mother understands this because she walked that walk for many, many years, I know. So to be a kingdom person is first and foremost to be one who continually seeks to obey this simple but profound command, Lord, what is it you want me to do for your kingdom? So simple, yet so profound. From Stanley Jones, who mentioned earlier, I learned a remarkable phrase. I'll share it with you. It is the phrase, cosmic backing. Perhaps you haven't heard that phrase before, and I hadn't. Cosmic backing. He bases that phrase on the great promise in Matthew chapter 6.33, which we've talked about. And all these things shall be added, not may be added, but shall be added to you. From his own long experience, Stanley Jones declares to us that when you and I obey Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we have cosmic backing. The great architect of the universe is looking down on us. Yes, I see Daniel obeying my, my word. I'm going to make provision for him and his wife. I see all of us here who follow that path. Yes, I'm going to make provision for him. I don't have to worry about the economic situation. Yeah, the world is coming apart, but it doesn't matter. God is going to take care of me. That's his promise. That's what I call cosmic backing. Isn't this awesome? I think it's awesome. The next thing I want to suggest to you is that being in the center of God's will is a very satisfying place to be. Not always easy, okay? but satisfying. The Lord Jesus had spent one time, much time with a woman at a well in Samaria. And his disciples saw that he was tired. They'd been to town and got some food and they pressed him to, to, to share, to eat. Take something to eat, Jesus. You're tired and hungry. His response, and I love the King James Version, chapter 4, verse 34 of John's Gospel. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And all of us can say the thing, our meat, our satisfaction, our deep sense of nourishment comes from being in the center of God's will and responding to his call on our life. My meat. So many of us today find ourselves asking, how can, how can I best find the will of God for my life? this very day and from day to day, because I understand it's a continual thing. The very best answer I have to that question is given, not surprisingly, by the Apostle Paul in the verse that we heard read earlier on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or better rendered or spiritual act of worship. 
Paul is giving us here a two-verse journey into the heart of God's will for your life and for my life. God help us, I say this morning, every one of us, to reacquaint ourselves, if we don't know it, with this two-verse journey and continue to take it effectively. I have to believe that what the Lord, what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this first verse is nothing less than a, an absolute daily surrender of all that we are to him, acknowledging that we're his. He bought and paid for us. He paid the price. Therefore, you and I don't belong to ourselves any longer. We're his. But we stray from that thought. We get involved with distracting things. We need to be brought back to that day by day. Lord, I absolutely surrender myself to you. I surrender myself to you this morning. Make that declaration. Do we want to find the Lord's will for us this very day? Paul is telling us that it begins with this daily surrender. So when I say the Lord's Prayer day, morning by morning, which I seek to do, when I come to that great petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I say, Lord, thy kingdom come, come in this earth. Thy will be done in this earth today. Help me to know what you want me to do. I surrender myself to you today. I look to you to give me direction for this day. I want to be effective in, on your call, for your call on my life, for doing what you want me to do to extend your kingdom. Your kingdom of God is everything to me. And then the, in the very next verse, I find the Lord's wonderful promise. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the end of the two-verse two journey. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not three separate wills, as I used to think at one time, but one will with three words describing it. The will of God is good and it is acceptable and it is perfect for every one of you once you detect and discern what it is. So you come to that place and say, ah, that's what you wanted me to do. And yet, and yet, there's a little discipline involved. So taking this journey, I suggest, belong for the daily surrender of our very lives to, to, to the Lord. The next step and the journey is transformation. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Yes, there's a discipline involved in this two-verse journey to discovering the Lord's will for your life, for my life. The first part, the absolute surrender of our wills, is the daily offering of ourselves to him as a living sacrifice in surrender. The second part is the renewal of our mind. But how? By the washing of our minds, by the water of the word, by allowing the Holy Spirit to impress the word on our, on our minds. By taking the time, this is key, because most of us rush, by taking the time to wait on the Lord to secure his direction for the use of our time and our talents. For remember, we don't belong to ourselves, but the Lord Jesus has bought us with a price, and we're his and his alone to direct. In this hurly-burly, rushing world of ours, which affects us as Christians as much as anybody, we tend to rush, 
and get past this time of waiting and rush into our activities, the time that we spend, our work, whatever it may be, whether it's at home or otherwise, or we turn on the TV or the radio. But let's, let's not do that. Let's give top priority to this time of waiting on him, discovering what his will is for us day by day in this North American country. So, at the end of this two-verse journey, it's assured we will prove, we'll discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for us. Monique, have I exhausted my time? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I close this message with a question for all of us. And by the way, would the praise team come up to save time? Then you'll be ready to go after that. As we recognize more and more, perhaps for the first time, the huge importance of the kingdom of God to the Lord Jesus. Is this a time for you and I to seek afresh the kingdom of God and his righteousness on a habitual basis, to re-examine our devotional lives, to make ample room for the discovery of his will for us each and every day? Do we understand that as we do this, we have his absolute promise that he will take care of all of our needs. We have cosmic backing. Will you say that, that phrase? Cosmic backing. You got it. Okay. You have that cosmic backing. And as we recognize and remember that this, the local church is the principal instrument for the extension of the kingdom of God, the principal, not the only, but the principal instrument for the extension of his kingdom is your local church. Should we take time to re-examine our commitment to our own local church in service, in prayer, in giving, and contributing whatever our talents are that the Lord has given us? But to do so not under condemnation or under legalism, but under the leading of, your, of the Spirit of God who's here to help you. So, Father, I bless you and thank you for this wonderful congregation and the lovely worship time that we've enjoyed in communion and time. I pray that for myself and for the others, we may regularly and sincerely seek your face, be seeking the kingdom continually, to, be, uh, to bring joy to your heart, but to also to bring satisfaction to ours. Lord, let not a day go past, we pray, in our lives where your spirit isn't reminding us of the importance to you of the kingdom of God upon this earth, I pray. Help us to be led by your spirit at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.